Pythian Castle, Springfield, Missouri. Being a local native of the central southwest portion of Missouri, there lies a dark and grimacing history of a little-known place, a stone fortress that looms over Springfield's past that many have forgotten. Within its cold, embracing walls, there have been over a hundred documented deaths, with the castle assuming roles as an orphanage, as well as a military war prison during World War II. Its location has been featured on a dozen or more TV series, documentaries, and investigations, including Ghost Hunters and a full movie documentary called Children of the Grave by the Booth Brothers. It's a location my wife Sarah and I have frequented on more than one occasion in person, conducting our own ghost hunts, and is the site of my most personal compelling photograph to date of a Victorian headless lady in the backstage dressing rooms of the theater. Join us tonight if you dare as we visit the Pythian Castle. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still, we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller, conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Well, like Eric said, Pythian Castle is located in Springfield, Missouri. If you're from this region, you should be pretty familiar with Springfield. It's sort of pretty good sized city. It sits in a modest residential neighborhood. Uh, built by the Knights of Pythias in 1913 as a home for widows and orphans of its members. Uh, of course, only orphans of the Knights would be taken in. There's an anecdote about a woman who brought three children to be taken in, but only two of the three were taken since the third had a different father. So they turned a, an orphan <laughs> oh. away from an orphanage. Oof. Now, you said there Tough was some, some interesting facts about the Knights there. At the time, and I found this in some of the newspaper clippings and stuff, um, you know, it was built by Knights of the Pythias, which it derives its name from, the Pythian Castle. The The group was described, and I quote, a formerly all-white fraternal organization formed back in 1864, right about the time of the Civil War. Well, that doesn't seem bad at all. Yeah. You know, especially in today's society, yeah, that ugh. just, that, that title's like, oh, so very inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the castle remained an orphanage and senior citizen's home until 1941. Uh, The government purchased it in 1942 for $29,500, which seems like a steal. I would have tried to come up with (laughs) $29,000 for that. They added it, uh, kind of absorbed it into the Army's O'Reilly General Hospital Complex that was neighboring to the castle area. So they sort of absorbed it. They bought it and brought it in. They made it the O'Reilly Service Club for Enlisted Men. Mm-hmm. This club boasted that it was the best enlisted club in the country. So during World War II era, this complex was also a contained a POW facility. They housed uh, prisoners of war during during World War II. German, Italian, and Japanese POWs were assigned here. Um, they received medical treatment. It was a hospital, like like you said, part of the O'Reilly General Hospital complex. And they were also used as laborers. Uh, they would do work throughout the complex you know, to, to keep it running. Uh, high-ranking German officers were said to have treated the nurses especially bad. Uh, they would scream at them and spit on them. And in contrast, the Japanese prisoners were said to have treated everyone with respect. I believe there's even a cell 
in in that area where a yes. Japanese officer draws the 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 sunrise sunset. He because of, of good behavior, he actually I believe was a cook uh, that served there, and he was um, re- rewarded, if you will, paints and stuff. Yeah, and he. I don't want to use the word graffiti because honestly, the artwork's quite beautiful. He he painted up his cell. Oh yeah, they saw of, a picture of it online. It's of really his nice. homeland. I yeah. mean, art and stuff. Did a very good job. Some prisoners were kept in the detached powerhouse and laundry area, and the laundry room is still today owned by the U.S. Army. Uh, in 1947, it became part of the VA's 500-bed tuberculosis hospital. Uh, the VA gave up the property in 1952. In 1955, the property was divided up. And the National Guard obtained the property that was the castle. Now, this property changed hands many times between 1980 and 2003. And I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to butcher this poor lady's name, I'm sure. But in 2003, it was purchased by Tamara Finocchiaro. Sounds good to me. Looks right. Uh, who, is, who is now the current owner. Now, uh, she herself will tell you she was not a believer in paranormal activity. Uh, she claims that the spirits are helpful and relaxing to be around, however. She'll pose them questions and they'll offer answers. Now, ever since her and her husband bought the castle, it was actually slated to be demolished when they bought it. They saved it from destruction. And I think her mother, uh, at least originally, moved in with them as well. Possibly. The the spirits do seem to, to worry about them and care about them. They show concern when they're sick and they don't let anyone mess with them. And I'm not sure what that means exactly. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, she was not always a believer. Uh, she had never had any ghostly encounters before visiting the castle. I think one of the big selling points I'm going to interject here was she, um, was like, uh, had a lot of background in dance, uh, and like acrobatics. And of course the theater is there and yeah. she uses that area for that. Now, uh, on her first visit to the castle, she was not warned that it was haunted. <laughs> Oops. Uh, she was in there. She was kind of walking around looking at this property. I mean, as you will, you buy it, you want to check it out. She heard someone call her name. And she started looking around because she thought she was the only one in that immediate area. Uh, so she, as she's looking around, she goes to walk through a doorway and she bumps into an invisible mass blocking her path as if, as if she had b- bounced into somebody, you know, uh, she finally ran into one of the employees that had been there for a while, a 13 year veteran of the castle. And this person could tell she looked a little spooked and, and that's when, <laughs> Oh, Oh, have you met the ghost? So we might not have told you about that before the paper signing, <laughs> but yeah. So the the Pythian Castle is designed to look like a castle, hence its name. It's a three-story, 27,000-square-foot building with 36 rooms. The foundation and exterior are made of what they call Carthage stone. Mm-hmm. To be familiar, obviously, Carthage, not, not too far down the road. This is an especially hard variety of limestone that is commonly quarried here in the Ozarks. And I just want to interject here for a moment. Well, this conversation has come up before we talk about ghosts. We talk about the supernatural. Absolutely. According to some, limestone can focus and possibly absorb spiritual energy. So that's been a theory that's come up a couple of times. Especially that residual haunting, yeah. it seems, an event you know that, that plays out maybe once a year or yeah. whatever. So the interior is uh, made of steel with poured, co- poured concrete floors, ceilings, stairways. The original main floor features a grand foyer, a meeting room, a ballroom, a dining hall, sitting parlors. The second floor features... A theater with its original ticket booth seats, upper projection, and lighting room. Uh, it does have seating for 355 people, which is not a bad size theater. Uh, and there are changing rooms for the backstage area. Now that also uh, was that area. Excuse me. That area was also used for funerals at the time, especially uh, well known or more 
larger funeral capacity. So uh, you would walk past the ticket booth to go in to uh, view a funeral. I believe it was also Springfield's first theater to show silent films. Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, the, the building does feature a full basement. The basement features cells for holding the POWs. Uh, there's also a, a tunnel down there, which has a history. Yes. Now, it is said that 105 deaths have occurred in the facility, with two of those being children. There are no public accounts of military deaths, but those records are sealed. So there's more than 100 people. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It is said that almost every single person that has worked in the building has heard a voice at the very least, uh, and sometimes particularly even their names being called. So Pythian Castle is is rife with spiritual energy is my understanding, and I've seen the the children of the of the dark, is children it? of the grave, children of the grave, loved it. Loved I it saw that that documentary. I think it came out on the Sci-Fi Channel, like that's on where Halloween. I saw it. Yeah, and, and it's got a little age on it now. It's, it's probably fifteen years or, or more. There's a Children of the Grave two that they created. Now, I personally have never been. I haven't even driven by it. I know my sister. I think has driven by it, and I know people that have toured it. And, and I believe mm-hmm. Eric, like you said, you've been there multiple mm-hmm. times. My wife surprised me as a birthday present with buying uh, <laughs> two tickets for a ghost hunt. It's like that's a good woman. Right I there. thought about taking my son for Halloween a couple of years ago. He's wanted to go on a ghost hunt forever, and I thought that might be the way to go. But we talk about ghost hunts, and it's a it's a public place. You're not there just by yourself. Yes. There's other people there. I was going to say I I don't mean to pull away from Pythian Castle at all, because as I stated, I got my personal best confirmation photo I've ever taken at the Pythian Castle, as well as several others. What I did not like was when they do the ghost hunts, it's commonly a group of 30 or more people. And as you stated, it's three floors tall. It's got some open rooms and the acoustics carry a lot of noise, meaning you could seriously hear people laughing, talking loud in the basement area or the dungeon, as it's called, uh, when you were on the second floor. We'll step back a little bit more into the history. I wanted to touch base on uh, the Knights of of Pythias, uh, of course, when they built the Pythian Castle. As I mentioned, uh, the newspaper article I stumbled across uh, was a, an all-white fraternity, which, you know, at the time probably wasn't that uncommon, unfortunately. Uh, something, obviously, we, we, we don't condone at all uh, in today's society. Yeah, like, like I said, at the time frame even, it's kind of problematic. But Yeah. Uh, obviously, you could, yeah, again, we don't It's a sign that. of the times. It, yeah, we just we don't agree times. with that. But I, I must say, I do commend their insight to at least care for their members, the widows, the children. However, obviously, if you weren't a child, a child of a member, yeah. as Bill said, yeah, sorry, you're, you're out of luck. The Knights of Pythias is actually still a very active group today. Uh, they have restructured and stating, uh, this is directly quotes online from their site, they now stand for three distinguishing principles, which they feel they've always stood for, and that being friendship, charity, and benevolence. Domains of the order exist in almost every state and providence uh, here in the United States. Some other lodges are located in many cities and towns across the United States, but includes Canada and even Europe. You know, with, with the concern of the frailty of, of the people who would be housed in, in this area, that is why they chose to use the Carthage stone, as Bill talked about. They wanted to make it fireproof, thus the steel beams on the inside, fireproofing using the mining of uh, Carthage uh, limestone and from several nearby mines, but especially in Carthage 
Now, those stones definitely kind of add to that castle feel. The exterior walls and on the front are two-foot-thick stones. That's, that's castle-ish. So that makes kind of the, uh, the outside especially impermeable to, to being burnt up. So that's one reason why this thing has been able to last. Uh, as we talked about, uh, architects at the time didn't realize, but obviously it's presumed that this is a natural trait of limestone that we talked about. And the thought is, some people believe, not only does it embrace souls and that energy, but it can trap souls. Well, so, and like you said, the residual haunting, the recurring haunting, that's almost like a recording. It, it's, I mean, that that's part of the the... The lore. I don't yeah, know. The, that's the, right. the, the word that came to my but, mind, too. But that but is, is part of that, that limestone. The belief. Limestone almost acts as a recorder for that kind of stuff. But imagine now, if you will, we've designed a limestone box, two foot thick. This is, this is almost something you'd expect from uh, Ghostbusters. You know, they're talking about building the, Ghost the skyscraper that's, yeah. that's supposed yes. to channel spirit. We, we've already know, at least documented, not counting the closed case military, but 100 plus lives inside of this limestone box, if you will. So it does kind of get you thinking, you know, that maybe that does explain why this building has such a presence, you know, about it. Well, and, and another interesting aspect is that people say almost all of the hauntings are good natured. With yeah. with one exception, which I think is the, the, the shadow man is, is kind of referred to. You know, one of the stories that I kind of found, one of the little anecdotes I liked is uh, back in the 60s, there was a neighbor boy that used to sneak over and he would sneak into the castle to play, which, you know, obviously it's not 100% legal, but hey, yeah, kids will be kids. Kids are kids. But he would go over there to play with his uh, quote unquote friends. And uh, he says he would bring toys with him, and then they would move around the floor and stuff. He said it was just like playing with living children. He knew they weren't there. Oh, wow. But as a child, he didn't realize the significance of what he was experiencing. And again, kids I are mean, so open-minded. Yeah. You know? But he, he, he said they would, he would play with these spirits just like playing with other kids. The, the Pythian Castle was actually originally made to accommodate 100 individuals at maximum capacity. However, it would never see that capacity reached. This was partly ensued by the orphans themselves not being allowed to stay in the main areas. And the thought, the belief is, uh, or the concern, these kids would be rowdy and playful and they might disturb the older members and, you know, the widows and th that were staying in the other hundred rooms. You know, the cranky pants of, <laughs> of the place, if you will. And you have to remember, you know, especially back in this time frame, orphanages... They usually were not one of fond memories. It's a hard knock life. Yes. Overcrowding, cruelty, punishments. Um, you know, these kids, it is documented by people who used to work here have now come forward and they're like, you know, we didn't beat the kids or nothing, but you could tell they were like, we have to put up with you. You're not allowed in the main areas. They, they described their bedrooms as multi-layered bunk beds. Children would share a single bed. You know, while you had the, the other side, the more public area with, you know, more lavish rooms opened up, uh, a lot more spaciousness, you know, but so this is kind of where things start to get a little sketchy. You know, the orphans were removed, some even say off site to other adjacent buildings uh, to be kept kind of out of the eyes and ears of those that staying there. This is at least partially factual, if not 100%, as there are and were even more underground access tunnels that connected multiple buildings together. Uh, some of those still exist today. Now, 
some may argue these were they had multi-purpose obviously but they were more for maintenance to have easy access to the large boiler pipes and equipment uh, but also for staff to take corpses and orphans you know you didn't want to pr- parade a corpse out the front doors obviously and we've talked about this in like waverly hills and some of the other places this was also some of the people that worked there said this is how we used to move the orphans from one building to another I've been in those tunnels, uh, the ones that are still there. Creepy indicator 10.5. <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of light. Oh, okay. There's a lot of weird noises. But but to be Smell honest, funny. maybe it's just human nature. Attics and basements are always just a little creepy. True. Very true. By design, I guess. Yeah. You know, by I mean, design. well, basements, you're underground, and it's all walled in, and it's, I, mean, I guess you could say it's tomb-like. Ooh. So maybe maybe yeah. maybe it's just part of your brain that says, like, hey, this is not normal <laughs> you're not supposed to really stay here a long time it is also confirmed that the rules of the establish were very strict uh it prohibited for example boys and girls from speaking to one another when they were out in public uh this even went to the point if they were brothers and sisters they were often not allowed to even see each other for weeks at a time uh it was just kind of part of the segregation you know that would that would that's a way of punishment uh, to some degree you know making them live in fear and silence well, for most of their young lives separating siblings i mean that has long long term ramifications now you had mentioned um we're going to call him the shadow man he has several names but there's kind of one ghost spirit in particular uh of interest and he is believed to have been one of the maintenance men that was on site he was a larger build man uh said to have often uh, even beaten some of the orphanage. He's kind of the one that would come in, uh, the bouncer almost, if you will. This kid is unruly. You know, take him away and put him in his room. And he literally would grab this kid, kicking and screaming, you know. Imagine having that job. He was that guy. It was also said that he was rough and gruff, possibly of military nature, had a real short fuse, anger issues, and let's just say did not work well with children at all, you know. And is this is who... Who we believe is down in the tunnel? Down in the tunnel. Uh, thus the maintenance man concept. In several of the TV series and uh, ghost explorations this went on, including Ghost Hunters, they actually caught on tape kind of a black, semi-transparent image of a bulky guy walking in this tunnel towards them. And is that not in the, the Children of the Children Grave? Children of the I Grave. I think has the, yes, a very similar. A very similar. I think in Children of the Grave... Uh, it was almost like he had something in his right like hand, a like a pipe wrench or yeah. something. And he was beating. I remember that. There was kind of some noise, almost like he was beating on these pipes. And that, that came up in my research. They were talking about, it, at times, it sounds like you know someone's hitting on the pipes and it's reverberating down the whole deal. But there are big gaps in the pipes. So there's no way someone could hit the pipe at one Great end point. Yes. and have it Those echo have up the other for yeah. years. So it's like, yeah, there might be a... You know, a 40-foot section of pipe, and then there might be a 12-foot gap yeah. that a pipe so there's, was that's not yeah. connecting them. There's no way you're banging it at one end and somebody's going to be able to feel the vibration at the other end. Um, there was a local Springfield television, I think it was KY3, that went and did kind of a, a Halloween special. And it was kind of a dare amongst them that they had to go down to the tunnel before <laughs> they could leave. It was kind of a, you know, earn your, earn your place. And while they were down there, they were like, you know, nothing's happening here. They were kind of blowing it off. And then all of a sudden... Boom, boom. You start hearing yeah. like this pipe wrench on the pipes. And one of the cameramen actually dropped his camera, I guess, did damage <laughs> to it. They were like scurrying, trying to get out of, of, of that area. Like I said, I myself, I have been in that tunnel. My wife, Sarah, we went down. It's, um, 
I will say it's a little bit confined space. You've the whole tunnel itself would be like maybe six foot, but there's probably three foot plus that old pipe and equipment off to one side. So you're kind of forced to lean on one wall. And then you've got these, uh, at that time, just hardwired lights that would drop down every now and then. So you kind of got to dodge that with your head, but it's a, it's a pretty large span. And from what I understand, they've sealed off a lot of it, but they kept that there. We did not see any apparitions or anything in that area. I will say we heard a lot of noise. We went down and attempted to, to do some recordings. Again, I will allude to the problem of 30 other people. Uh, we yeah. heard echoes and people on the steps. So it, even if you caught something, it would be so easily thrown out. And that's the thing with these public spaces. I mean, we've talked about it, you know, at one point in time when we were, we were doing the prism thing and we had our, our little paranormal group and we would meet from time to time and maybe mm-hmm. go to supposed haunted locations. We talked about all these places that we could go, but it was the places like Piffy and like, if you want to go there and just have your group be there. What is it? Like some of these places, it's a big chunk of money. I want to say it was like 750 bucks you're or gonna, at least you're, 500 or something. It was a chunk okay. of money. You know, that may not sound like a lot of money to some people, but working class folks, yeah. you know, but in, in, you know, you try to split that cost between four or five people. That's not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. You're coughing up more than a hundred, hundred bucks a piece for maybe overnight. And part of those was uh, you got the run of the place for three hours, yeah. you know, kind and, of deal. And, and also, I mean, there's no guarantee, obviously with this kind of phenomena, uh, like when we went to uh, Morris mill, you know, mm-hmm. we, we went there and, and still one of my favorite spots, uh, we could argue hit, you know, depending on who you were, that, that place was kind of hit or miss. So yeah, yeah. I personally, I know you didn't really didn't have really a lot, feel like I was convinced, but, um, shout out to Tim Southard and, and I, we were upstairs in one of the rooms. We, just kind of rotated and divided up and, and he and I were up there in one of the rooms. We talked about it and caught some really great stuff on, on a mag flashlight, but well, we already talked about that. So yeah, we'll, look, at, we'll look at our that. older episodes there, but going back to this, um, kind of shadow man, this maintenance man, this big burly anger management type guy. <laughs> one of the things that's reported that he appears in multiple areas, not just the tunnel, the theater room. Uh, in particular, uh, it's known to push and shove, maybe even trip you, uh, when there's nothing there, he does not seem to be respectful of women in particular. And I will say, if you're a small child, you better stay close to your parents. <laughs> a lot of pushing and shoving that kind of stuff. He's definitely the most aggressive of any of the spirits that I personally, uh, came across or have researched. Yeah, like, like I said, most spirits there are supposed to be sort of friendly and, and helpful even. But that guy, yeah, I mean, he's got a reputation. And I came across another story here, and we were talking, you know, especially orphanages at that time frame were, let's just say, not usually a happy place. When the Pythian Castle was there in full operation, it was private grounds. They had uh, a large fence around the area. While they did have public events and would invite people in, especially for holidays, for the most part, you could see it from a distance, but it's not something like you could just walk up on the front steps of. However, around the holidays, it was tradition that they would parade the orphans out on the front step to sing Christmas carols, where the local Springfield citizens would gather at the gates of the estate and listen. You have That's to weird. think about this. You know, here are these poor orphans are out here singing Silent Night and all this. And you got these other people that's like, oh, listen to the cute little orphans. I don't want to help you, but that's so cute. Let's parade the orphans around, you know, yeah, on that, the estate. That's weird. Yeah, creepy, creepy weird. 
today it is said, um, you know, a portion of the cast, the castle's life was to care for the orphans and widows and the old timers. Uh, that part would only went on for about 26 years until as Bill mentioned it, you know, later got bought up and became a, a prison of war. Not that they housed a lot of prisoners of war, but they had like a dozen or more there. But the, the children especially seem to be able to be heard more than any of the others with the orphanage and probably some of the less than desirable conditions that, that they were kept. Even today, this seems to be a pretty normal phenomenon. Well, going back, uh, personal accounts. You know, that's another thing Bill and I, when we did this, we were always trying to bring it home, so to speak, you know, as, as personal and as reputable sources as we could find. Uh, my wife, Sarah, and I, we have visited Pythian Castle at least twice on, I, I would say, an overnight ghost hunt. We didn't spend the night, but it would be like, you know, six to eight hours. We would stay till early morning and then basically drive back to Lebanon, which is uh, about an hour drive. One of the uh, events, I, one of the things, I'll set the stage. When you, when you walk in, and we've shared pictures of this on our Facebook site for Nightmares on the Lost Highway, there's kind of these two statues, almost gargoyle dog-like. I mean, it definitely sets the setting of a castle. These limestone steps that you walk up to, big columns, it's it's very predominant, especially if you go at night and they've got the lights cast upon it. There's a lot of shadows. Definitely get your mind kind of set. But as you walk into the room, there's a lot of large rooms. There's a lot of long hallways, multiple stairways, uh, multiple levels. As in many ghost hunts, you'll notice there are a lot of mirrors, which I think are added a lot to, you know, hey, I saw something out of the peripheral vision of my eye, you know, movement, ricochets, camera flashes of light. Well, at the same time, though, I think mirrors have sort of a special attention. Mirrors seem so, to attract a, the A special association or, when yeah. you're doing ghost hunting. And, and I mean, I know, like, for example, old funerary rites where you cover the mirrors in the house so the spirit yes. can't be trapped and... And things like that. So uh, mirrors do have a reputation of, of being able to kind of hold spiritual energy too. I agree with that. But from a camera standpoint, they're yeah, from annoying. A, <laughs> well, from a from a standing there looking around for ghosts, and, oh man, I seen something. Ah, you know, oh, I, I looked at myself. You know, just, just the mirror. But obviously, it, it's kind of an aboding feeling. However, you you just can't shake that as you're walking through its doors, um, and especially if you're alone. However, it's very hard to be alone there. I, I will say again, there seems to be a lot of people. In the basement, which is affectionately called the dungeon, you can still see some of the preserved uh, war prisoner rooms, as Bill stated. One in particular we talked about is the decorated artwork with the Japanese paintings on the wall. Uh, This room in particular, we personally felt uncomfortable uh, with being in. When we went into the room, which don't quote me, but I want to say it's about a 10 by 15 maybe size room, we felt uncomfortable, uneasy. And ironically, with going back through the history, that doesn't make sense because this prisoner of war was one of the only Japanese prisoners, and he seemed to be the best treated. Yeah, the the story is he was pretty respectful. Uh, A lot of the prisoners, ironically, said they were Italian prisoners and and very few Japanese. We took some pictures, obviously, pre-walk. We always go through, take pictures, and then as we do the ghost hunt periodically through the night, we would go in and do recordings, EMFs, and, and take more pictures. We got a phenomenon that's not, I won't say it's not common, but it's been uncommon for us. And that's when you see on the picture, for lack of a better term, almost like a lightning strike, a light flash, weird worm-like glowing events. 
we caught the first batch of those right literally at the doorway leading into that Japanese prisoner's room. And it was in multiple pictures. And as we took the pictures and looked at them in order, I will say it was like it came out of the room, went through the doorway and down the hall. There, there was some weird movement to it. He's just trying to get away from you. Yeah, probably trying to get away from <laughs> me. I scared it more than it scared me. So, you know, we had that happen in that particular room. Uh, back up on the main floor, there's actually another kind of more narrow stairway that leads straight up, kind of a, lack of a better term, almost a service stairway, but it is wooden. And it leads to what I would call kind of the lookout tower. It was an office that's directly above the front porch. Now, this stairway in this room was featured on uh, Children of the Grave, done by the Booth brothers. Uh, as I said, it's a narrow, long hallway that leads up uh, from the inside, uh, creaky wood steps, as you would imagine. But we felt as if we were passing other people on the steps, which literally was maybe only three foot wide. It was very confined, but there was no one there. But you felt, you know, you could feel almost like a pressure. And that's one of the things people have, have said that they feel almost like a physical presence. Nudging, you know? Yeah, like you bump into, well, like like the, the her owner when she was there and she bumped into something in the doorway. So that does seem to be a fairly common occurrence there. And it was something low. I mean, I, I, I would envision like a child, you know, maybe the children I could almost, you know, got sent up to the principal's office for misbehaving and they were, you know, sulking, coming back down the steps or whatever. It wasn't pushing. It wasn't violent. It was again, just like you rubbed against something, you know, on the stairway. Now in that room, when we come up to the, the top, it was kind of converted to an office. This is one of the areas where we tried to replicate some things that we had saw on TV it was in the, again, the Booth Brothers' Children of the Grave. I'm, I, work, I swear they're not funniness for this, but it's, it's a <laughs> very good film if, if you're into that. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, when I watched it, it's one of those things where it, it's one of the few that I've ever watched that I felt like, yeah, okay, they definitely found something. That's Yeah, and it was very legit. I mean, to me, it was very legit. But one of the things that they were able to catch, and it was a, a more wintry night than what we were there. We were there in, like, July, but they caught what, truly resembles children's handprints on frozen windows, like where it would melt. Now, the weird part was the children's handprints were on the outside of the window, which I thought that was extremely strange when you're, you know, 30 foot up in the air. We were unable to, to, to get that anything really up in that office whatsoever. That was kind of a total flop. We were a little disappointed, but we did have, as I mentioned, the kind of the nudging feeling as we were walking up and down the steps. Now, going back down to the, the basement, again, affectionately called the dungeon, there were several larger, I'm going to call them carved out rooms, because to me it looked like they were partially dug or mined, but then some of them had like brick reinforcement. Some of these rooms in particular, they had no windows whatsoever. Uh, they were quite large area of maybe you know, 20 foot, maybe even 30 foot uh, long, almost that in width. It's said that these were used for keeping food, similar to like a, a cellar at the time for keeping food from, uh, you know, spoiling. Originally, however, later these rooms were repurposed to hold some of the prisoners of war, mostly those of the Italian descent. One exception, of course, was the Japanese cook, which had an area on the opposite side of the dungeon. So he was even almost kind of segregated away from the rest of the prisoners. When we walked into those areas, the walls were very, very thick. Uh, it was very cold. I would relate it to a, a cave. I mean, that you, you didn't feel like you were in a basement anymore. You felt like you were in a cave. We caught some recordings that were very strange, almost with mumblings. 
but again, we weren't able to really add much merit to it because there were so many people around and possibly the acoustics was carrying it, but definitely caught our attention when we went back and reviewed the footage and was listening to the hours of, uh, of audible, you know, tapes that we had done still by far our best evidence personally ever collected. And I've shared this photo on the Facebook page before was in the theater stage room. Uh, this was up on the, I think it's the second floor. As Bill was talking about it, I think it seated maybe 300 people at the yeah, time. Almost, was it 350? Uh, it, like it, it had multiple dressing, changing rooms behind it. The theater would be like one uh, that would have been the Bodville stage time frame later, as Bill said, even playing uh, silent real films. Artists like Charlie Chaplin uh, performed there. I mean, very recognizable names. Bob Hope, I believe, actually even performed yeah. there. Yeah, I saw that. But it was in this area, we, we went into the theater and they, they suggested that we all kind of space ourselves out. And there was a group of about 15 of us set out in the theater and just, you know, try to be quiet, hear what you could hear. Typical old house. Again, you've got multiple people on multiple floors. You could hear wood creaking footsteps, nothing that I really tied a lot to. But um, we didn't even know we had the footage because we, again, we did the pre-walk. And we were able to get ourselves away from the groups. It was kind of, you got free game and, you know, until it starts getting dark, that's when the, the ghost hunt initiated. So literally it was my wife, myself, and I believe there was another couple probably within about 12, 15 feet of us in another room back in the theater dressing rooms. They, at that, at that point in time, was doing total reconstruction. They had ripped all the lath and plaster out. They were re-sheetrocking the walls. Probably half the walls were literally two before studs. I mean, you could literally see into the adjacent room. There was nothing there. All the furniture, everything had been removed because obviously it, that was a dusty mess that they were working on. Some ladders, uh, five-gallon buckets of, of plaster, just different supplies was in there, but that was it. Still daylight and pre-walk, just kind of going through each room, taking two or three pictures, just to kind of get a baseline. And in... The right-hand side, if you're up on the stage, would be the right-hand side, and it would be the room closest to the audience seating. Small dressing room, 10 by 10 maybe. There was a window that looked out to a large tree in the yard. I remember seeing that tree. Uh, again, it was very daylight still, probably 5.30ish, and snapped these pictures. Again, we had no idea what we captured on film until like 48 hours later when we took all the stuff and started going through it. So we had no idea. We, we were just snapping pictures. But later, that image that we caught with only one of the two pictures taken in that room was very clearly a woman in a Victorian-type gown, uh, flowing lace, lace on the sleeves, but a headless Victorian lady standing directly in front of that window. And you can see through her and see that tree. I remember looking at when I snapped that picture. Again, there's no mirrors in this room. It was going through reconstruction. So, you know, somebody said, oh, it was maybe a mannequin. There, there was no mannequins. There was no clothing. There was nothing in this room except for a ladder and some supplies. But that picture, I, I sent off to several different people, uh, several different ghost hunting groups, uh, several different colleges, and they agreed, you know, it was not tampered with, which I knew I didn't tamper with it, but it was still nice to hear that. They had no explanation for it. That picture actually I have seen used online. I, I, I did put my name and information on there, so they did include that. But uh, 
being used, uh, which is fine. I'm cool with that. That's why we do this. But that picture to this day still makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. You know, out of all the ghost hunts I've went on, never, ever, ever have I caught something so visual. You can go in and lighten and darken the picture and even make it stand out more, but you can see it just with the raw footage. I don't know. I don't know what that was. I don't know why she appeared headless. You can see her hands. So, I mean, it, somebody said, well, it might've been a mannequin, but you know, it, it wasn't a mannequin, but they were standing directly in front of that window. It appeared to be the front so that it would have been facing us. Obviously without a head, it was a little hard to tell, but, uh, yeah, there was that, uh, that was by far the weirdest thing that, that ever happened to us at the Pythian castle. I have asked around, sent some emails and different things to see if anyone else had come across a similar, you know, entity. A couple people did state, however, I never saw their photos, that uh, there was a lady in a gown that had been spotted in the theater. One of them, I do remember, was on stage, like standing in the corner, like almost waiting her turn to come out and, and perform. The other one, I don't recall. I would have loved to compared the photos, but I never got that opportunity. We, uh, Like I said, I've, I've shared that on the Facebook page before. I'll be happy to share it again. But that was... That was just wow. That was a wow factor of me and all the years of my ghost hunting, you know, for, for sure. Never had anything like that happen before. Uh, 1942, there was an account from a local man in Springfield uh, who snuck onto the location, which was closed and, and it was left unused at the time. And he visited one of the orphanage playrooms. He described uh, this to his brother later on, that there was not another person in the entire place. It, would, it sounded like it had been boarded up and locked up. Obviously, he was trespassing, shouldn't have been there. But he felt uh, he was definitely not alone. He said in the, in the orphanage playroom area, there were voices that he heard in the corner of one particular area. It was a man and a woman, not children's, but a man and a woman. They were quietly kind of arguing about something in the corner. He said, when I investigated further, I walked over there and there was absolutely no one there. And I could not hear the voices anymore. But there was nowhere they could have gone as the, the only door was behind him and they had not passed him. Another account was in the mid-1940s, a tour guide uh, who was wrapping up for the day, gathering her stuff on the same floor. She said all of a sudden she felt kind of this chill breeze in the air around her. She then heard, as clear as day, a small girl's voice saying, hello. She said without even it really registering, she turned and replied back, well, hello. And when she turned, there was no one there. She saw nothing, and all the others had already left the building, leaving her the only one there. And she grabbed her stuff and quickly exited down the steps. So if you want to visit Pythian Castle, feel free to look at their website. I think they're on Facebook and all that. Uh, you can book the ghost tours. Like I said, I think uh, if you go with other people, I think it's like 20 25 bucks or something. It's not too outrageously expensive. No, not at all. Uh, now, again, if you want the place to yourself, you're going to pay a buck or two for that. But. You know, it's some place that I've thought about going, and, and and really, I thought about going with my son. He's he's definitely interested in these kinds of things. But you know, Eric's been there, and, and you've seen some things. So I've seen some things. You know, there's definitely something going on there. So you know, and and it's you know, for us, it's it's not not far from home. Well, we hope that you enjoyed uh, yet another example. This of the Pythian Castle of Springfield, Missouri. Another example of what you'll find on Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Thanks so much for listening. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Ravensloft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. 
It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for again supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in, kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, (laughs) using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, and I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.